0: We're going to continue with the theme we had last week. Um, we talked about the, the ten virgins, five who were foolish and five who were wise. The Bible talks about in Matthew 25. And uh, we're going we're to go with the concept of oil and what it means for us to develop the, that, that oil in our lives. We're going to look at a passage in uh, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 39 through 51. Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 51. The title of the message is, The olive press for extra oil. The yield depends on you. The olive press for extra oil. The yield depends on you. Luke 22, verse 39. And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away. And he knelt down and began to pray. Verse 42, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, 44, and being in agony, He was praying very fervently, and and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 47. And while he was speaking, behold, a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those who were were around him saw what what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Verse 50. And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, 51, stop, no more of this and he touched his ear and healed him. Lord, help as we study your word today. Three things I'd like to talk to you about in this pas- front, that come from this passage. One, our conversations with God need to be substantive. Two, when we finish, there ought to be a greater certification of our identity in front of people. Three. the contrast here in this passage between Peter's response the man who actually wielded the sword that cut off a man named Malchus' ear and Christ's response it says that Jesus came to a place called the, the Garden of Gethsemane or the Mount of Olives now the Mount of Olives is right outside Jerusalem's walls it is a mount known as a place where there are a lot of olive trees And the garden of Gethsemane is at the foot of the mountain. And this is where Jesus would come, it says, as was his custom. And I imagine he would spend time with God. Gethsemane itself, the name, actually means oil press. Oil press. And at this time, Jesus was only, he only had a couple of more days, in fact, one of life on the planet. In a physical body. The purpose for which he was sent to die on our behalf and all all of mankind's behalf to suffer so we did not have to for our own sins. That he would actually pay for ours by suffering for us. The purpose for which he was sent was about to be accomplished. In a few hours he'd be put on a cross and he would die. Rise again wonderfully. But the pain of having to go through that caused him to come to the place of prayer. And it wasn't that he was trying to figure out how to get out of it. Oh, when we go through our difficulty, the thing to which God has called us, one of the purposes for which we have been placed on the planet, difficulty, there's no way around it as a believer. Hear me, please. It is unpopular to say and it is painful to hear that tribulation and trials are a part of our inheritance as believers. Simply because we get saved does not mean we are going to have a path paved with rose petals. In fact, when you get saved, welcome to problems. You used to go with the flow, and everybody was with you, and you with them. But now you are swimming upstream, going in the opposite direction. Welcome to problems. The enemy would accompany you in your sin before you got to know him, and champion you on. Get out his pop pop to say go 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 go. Now he's got out his missiles. His targeted uh, arrows to take you out because you are in opposition to his kingdom. Welcome to problems. And here Jesus realizes the enemy's got a target on his life. Ah, He knew that when he came off the the baptism with John the Baptist at at the River Jordan and, and the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness and the enemy tempted him. He knew the enemy had it out for him. And he defeated him with word, with the word of Almighty God, as he came out of the wilderness. But here was another opportunity for the enemy to come against him. And he was prepared. He was not going to the garden in order to say, God, don't let me do this. I I realize the language, but I'm going to help you with the motivation of what he said. I don't want to do this, Lord. I don't want to do it. uh, Please stop this. It wasn't the cross about which he was most concerned. I'm convinced of that because that's the purpose for which he came when he says let this cup pass it was whatever was happening whenever he had to say on the cross why my God have you forsaken me I don't even know what that means I understand the English but I don't know cosmologically what that means Because the Father and the Son have always been in perfect unity. Distinct in their personalities, but not separate in their person. God Almighty, the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. They've never been separate. I don't know what Jesus means when he says, forsake me. Why are you forsaking me when he's there on the cross? But whatever it meant... It was painful beyond whatever the nails in his hands felt like. And I'm convinced that's the thing that he was saying, let that pass. I don't want to be separate from you. But the separation came as a result of him becoming sin for us, it says in Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He became sin. He didn't just endure the difficulty of a cross uh, execution. He actually took the punishment of all mankind on him and he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He took our punishment. That caused the father at some level and I don't understand it to say I can't look. And the separation between the father and the son was more than Jesus could bear. I think that's why he was saying please if there's another way to make this happen, please let it. But, not my will, but yours. It was not about just the pain through which he would physically go. It was about the separation from the Father. But he was there in the garden praying, trying to get the right perspective and the strength to be able to endure that which he did not want to. And when we talk about gethsemane uh, oil press boy stuff was being pressed out of jesus to help light the world see oil was the primary tool they would use for cooking in many respects and for illumination so women would use it in the kitchen and then and then all the lamps that were produced had, had a place where you could actually fill oil. We look at a lamp today, it's got a little cord coming out the bottom and uh, a stand and then a light bulb at the top. Uh, that That's not what I'm talking about. Their lamps were actually like bowls with uh, a little opening through which a wick could be inserted and you would pour oil into the bowl and, then a l- and put a top on it and then have there be a little opening through which a wick can be asserted and then light the wick because the little wick would then go all the way down to the oil and it would burn. It. And that would be their illumination. And, and the, the better quality oil and the better quality wick, the better the light. And there was no greater <laughs> oil that was being pressed out of Jesus in the history of mankind. No greater oil than what Christ had. But it needed to go through The press. The press. And Gethsemane is a place to which we all need to come. We talked last week about how the, the, the wise virgins had, had their oil in tow. They had flasks or extra bottles or extra containers that they could use if the oil they had in their lamp was used up. Um, the kind of, of oil that we need to possess is that which comes from us. Now when I say comes from us, I'm not talking about that is, that is actually made from you. The kind of good oil that helps illumine your pathway and others is that which can only be deposited by Almighty God. It doesn't come from a human being, but it comes out of a human being. So once God puts it in, He wants it to come out. It comes in through the word. It comes in through the anointing he places in your life. And the power that he he dispenses in order for you to do what you need to do. It comes in by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But then it's got to come out some way. And it doesn't come out like it came in. It came in as a result of a gift. It came in because of information. It comes out through pressing. Oh, that's painful. The best oil actually comes out not only through pressing, but through heat. <laughs> so you've got two elements that are uncomfortable that, that provide you the only way to get the kind of stuff out that the world can use. The only way. And, and, and we want to, to, to push them away because they are so uncomfortable that it surely can't feel like this to be a Christian. I mean, where is God? It is so painful. That's what we think and that's what we feel. But as the oil begins to get pressed out, there are impurities that come with it. Little pieces and fibers of the olive itself and those impurities have to be strained away in order for the oil to be used properly. So it can be un- unhindered when it, it carries up the wick. And, and so, yes, when, when, when there's an oil press in our life, boy, stuff comes out that we didn't think was there. Oh, selfishness. Ah, I didn't mean to say that. Well, actually, you just didn't mean for the person to hear it. You said it a lot. You thought it even more than you said it. But now you said it in the presence of somebody that's that's offended. And so then you say later, well, I didn't mean to say that. No, you just didn't mean for them to hear it. But it's now out there. Little particles (laughs) that weren't restrained, that weren't strained, When you began to expel the stuff that was on the inside. But there's also the oil itself, which represents the goodwill of God. The the character that has been forged in your life so that you can now represent him well to the world. That comes out as well. Now for Jesus, it was all about perfect oil. There were no particles to be strained. He strained it out himself when he said, not my will. But yours be done. That was the end of it. If there was any conflict in the Godhead at any time in all of history, whatever that is, before man was ever created, that would have been the moment and he did not let it appear. He said, no, I'm just voicing my opinion, but I always submit to your will. And I'm going to make my soul rejoice in the happiness that is sad. That's what where Jesus had come out. Wow, wow, wow. The oil press. Every one of us needs to have conversations with God like that. Maybe not all of them will be like that. But every one of us needs to find a place in him that presses stuff out that shouldn't be there and presses stuff out that needs to come out for the benefit of others. Oil. That helps illumine their way to God. Also helps light our way. We need our Gethsemane's. We need to go more than we ever want to. What happened when the oil came out of Christ? (laughs) If you will, I'm using this as a metaphor. Let's just see. We go down in the passage further. And here comes Judas with his band of cronies. And Jesus is in the garden with the disciples. The disciples have fallen asleep because they are so sad. They came. It's now been three, four days, five days. I'm not disputing. Just say latter part of the week. And it came in with such a bang. I mean, everybody, Hosanna in the highest. Oh, Jesus, you're going to save us. This is wonderful. That was on Monday and Tuesday. By Thursday, Everybody was trying to kill him. And they didn't know what happened. I mean, their heads were spinning. Wait, 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 wait. By this time, we were supposed to be enthroned. We weren't supposed to be imprisoned. What happened? And so they were really distraught. Jesus just had the, the Last Supper meal. They didn't know it was the Last Supper. We've entitled it that. But at that meal, he says, All of you all will betray me. And listen, Nilla. Wait a minute, we gave up everything for you. Peter stands up and says, everybody may bolt. They might bounce, but not me. I'm your boy. I'm going to stay by you through thick and thin. Ah, Pete, listen, before the cock crows tonight, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, oh, I, I mean, what do you say to a prophet when a prophet says that to you? <laughs> you just kind of swallow your, 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 your bread real hard at dinner. You don't know what to do. All of them were depressed. They went to sleep. On top of that, you know what a good meal does to you. I mean, you're there. This is Passover. This is, if you will, their version of Thanksgiving, though they have nothing to do with one another. I'm just talking about the amount of food that's available to eat. What happens when you eat at Thanksgiving? You want to go lie down on the couch. All the blood's gone to your stomach to digest. It's removed from your head. You get tired of (laughs) sleeping. All you want, give me the remote. Let me turn on a football game and just veg. Well, this was late at night, really late. Jesus was asking them to do things that their physical body was not willing to to do. And they succumbed to their physical body. They got tired, they were full, and they went to sleep instead of prayed. If they had prayed, they probably would have had at least a measure of a press of the olive press. Just a push from it so that they could have responded better in this horrible moment that was about to take place. Judas comes with his cronies. Jesus says, whom do you seek? Now he knew it. It was a rhetorical question. But he's asking them. And then they don't answer. But Judas comes and says, he already told them, the one I go ahead and greet with a, an embrace, uh, that's him. Now they already knew who he was. But this was choreographed by Judas in order to identify Christ to the people as, as somebody who was now betrayed by a loyalist rather than them just coming to apprehend him as a criminal. Now somebody from his own band was now saying he's not right. And so they use this, meaning the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the entire governmental system to say, we didn't get him, they gave him up to us. This man did. He was a part of his team for three years. And so they could kind of wash their hands at some level. Even through the interrogative process, that would go on all that night. And Jesus says, Judas, do you be... Betray me? Do you do you reject me with an embrace? Whew. You talk about words that cut to the heart. This is why Judas went out and did self-harm. He ended his life because he realized how bad the deed was that he had done. Finally, <clears throat> they say we're looking for Jesus. And he says this. I am he. I am he. Well, I am had only been said by one other person in all of Scripture like he said it. Remember Moses? He said, God, when you send me to Egypt, who shall I say is sending me? Now remember, the Lord had not made known his name to anybody prior to this point. He had gone by different titles to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jehovah, Adonai, Elohim, uh, Rafa, so many other titles that describe what he would do for people, not who he was, describe his character, not his identity. He had not revealed himself in terms of who he was to anybody. And so Moses understood his heritage as this burning bush was speaking to him. But he said, Can I please have your name? (laughs) Because it's not going to be good enough for me to come back and tell these people that I am for them when they saw me leave. They saw me bolt. They saw me get out of Dodge as a result of them not accepting me. and, And neither did the Egyptians accept me. It's been 40 years. And the last they remember was that I was one of these Jews that was a traitor taking the privilege of being a part of Egypt and not identifying with their struggle at all until the last minute, whereby I I gained no credibility when I tried to defend them. And they thought, ah, he's just having a a pang of conscience. He's not serious. He's just uh, having a moment where he he feels bad that he's been able to eat at the great tables while we've been eating slop. We don't believe you're serious, Moses. After 40 years of living on high on the hog. (laughs) Wrong metaphor for the Jewish people. After 40 years, a prime rib, and all we've gotten is, is, is hoof? Uh-uh. No, no, no. So he had to leave. And now, Lord, I, you know, you want me to go back just saying it's Jehovah? I, I sure would like a name that would give me a little bit more credibility that actually I've talked to you rather than just got a good idea. And the Lord said, I am that I am. Eh, For us, not much of a name. I mean, we think Jim, Bob, something like that. But every name is confining that we have here on the earth. It lets us fit in a certain box whereby people can identify us. And the best way God could could describe himself is that I'm distinct from everything else on the planet, everyone else on the planet, and that I've always been And I always will be, and I'm present. So the best way I can describe for humans, because he didn't need to name himself, he's God. So the best way I can describe for humans who I am is that I am. And I've always been I am. There was a time when you were not, I was not. And there will be a time when I won't be. I'm going to be put in a grave someplace. But there never has been a time when God wasn't. Jesus says, I am. The press had squeezed to such a degree that when he pulled out his driver's license and said, I am, Everybody in the crowd got pushed back and to the ground. When you go through the oil press, it changes your speech. You don't even have to try. It just comes out that way. Power. Power. And people are overwhelmed with the simple when you say it. You don't have to prove that you are so theologically astute that you use big words and language and concepts to let them know that you studied not when you've been through the oil press. I'm not saying that those things aren't important in order to educate people at a higher level they are. I've been there. But when you want the presence of God, to be that which people remember rather than how smart you are you want to have been through the oil press so that when you say simple stuff like jesus loves me this i know all of a sudden people go oh my gosh i've never heard never heard it like that before i am the oil press will allow you the privilege of accessing the power of God in combination with your personality that brings something from the depths of your being created by Almighty God that brings something up out of your mouth that causes people to say, wow, I may have heard that a thousand times, but it's like I heard it for the first time today. Jesus had identified himself on a number of occasions. Nobody ever fell over. Oh, it's not that he didn't have power. He always did. But even with him in a physical body, the olive press pushed something else extra out of him. It is uncomfortable to go to Gethsemane, but it is powerful. And if you will allow the Holy Ghost to take you to places where you don't want to go in prayer, to go through circumstances better than you ever would have gone through them without God, to have his perspective on this time in which we live, where there are no answers to very big problems, no answers. Now, I've got some spiritual answers. The church ought to have some answers, but nobody's asking me. Primarily because the church has been fairly irrelevant. They've relegated to us, relegated us to a spot over there on the side. Uh, break glass in case of emergency. That's all we are. So that when bad stuff happens in the world, they run to us on a Sunday morning. I'm not mad about that. I just know how they think about us. I sure would like to change it though. And I'm not asking them to change their mind about us. I'm asking us to have their minds changed about us, by us. That we speak differently. We act differently. We love differently. We do everything differently. But not just distinct. With power. And a power that overwhelms with love, not with dominance. That's what the oil press will do. Gethsemane will get you there faster than you ever could get on your own. And then what was the contrast? The guys get up after having fallen over. And Peter, it doesn't say Peter in this passage, but in John it does. It says that, Lord, shall we take up swords now? And they, they were encouraged somewhat to do that by what Jesus said at the Last Supper, that you need to, well, during the last part of his ministry, that you need to, in these final days, make sure you have a sword with you. Before, he said, I tell you not to take a sword. This was in Luke chapter 10, where he sent him out on a short-term mission. But now he says, I tell you to take up a sword. And so they were thinking, is this the time we use them? And... I believe he told them to take up the sword not to fight for themselves but to defend those whom they loved and this was not a time to do that. Let let, let me be real clear. Persecution is not something that that a Christian needs to fight and this was direct persecution. This was People coming to try to get Jesus because of the message of the gospel. And they would continue to persecute the church after Christ's crucifixion. Peter, James, John, all of them would ultimately die a martyr's death. So persecution is not something we need to try to stop. Avoid? Yeah. But not avoid by withholding truth. My point is, I'm not trying to go, get on a plane tomorrow to go to Tiananmen Square and preach the gospel just because I believe persecution is my portion. I'm not trying to intentionally put myself in harm's way every day of my life. But as I go through life and I preach the gospel, if persecution comes to me, if people don't like what I say and they begin to treat me poorly as a result of it, I'm not going to fight them over it. This Garden of Gethsemane moment was that. Now, this is distinct From somebody who's breaking in my house There's no persecution in that They intend to either Harm people who are on the inside Or take things from me At that moment I've got an opportunity To not just I'll say it like this At that moment I need to be a person That is thinking about the defense of my loved ones Therefore I take whatever means necessary To subdue the threat In the most restrained way possible Different from persecution. So I think what Jesus was saying with respect to swords is, you you all have families. And and I'm not going to be here to protect you. Nobody's ever tried to assault you since I've been here. But when I leave, you're going to be in certain areas where it's not, not very Jewish. People don't know you. And you might be a little exposed. You need to be able to defend those and yourself from those who would want to harm you but not with respect to persecution. So Peter was saying, should we now use him? He says, no, don't do that. Too late. (laughs) Now we know this about Peter if we know anything. He was not a swordsman. He wasn't a a soldier. Because he got his ear. He got his ear. I mean, a body is a pretty big thing, especially if you're close enough to use a sword to get it. And the swords they used were only 18 inches long. They weren't the big uh, European um, uh, uh, medieval swords that were like almost three feet and some 20 or five or 30 pounds. These were, these were large butcher knives. Eh, so you got to be really close. How do you miss a guy that bad, that close? Well, that good, that close. I'm glad he missed him. But my point is, obviously, he was not a soldier. He got his ear. What does Jesus do? Jesus takes the ear. We have to piece all the passages together. John 18, here Luke, then again, again Matthew. Piece them all together. He took Malchus' ear, slapped it back on his head, and healed him immediately. See, the oil press will stop you from doing stupid, stop you from from saying things and doing things that will hurt people in the name of God. Peter was trying to do something to protect Jesus in the name of God, if you will. And he hurt somebody in the process. There are things we can say religiously to try to win an argument. Theologically, that we are more astute than the next guy. They bring up this point, we bring up this point, and we know we can march them into a corner and then prove we're right. When you win in arguments like that, you still lose because you lost a brother. You cut off something that needs to be attached to you. That's what Peter did. Why? Because he fell asleep. He didn't allow the oil press to come and help. Jesus did. And not only, not only did Jesus not try to defend his own life in, in the cause of the gospel, he helped repair somebody who was an enemy to the gospel. Wow. Do you think Malchus heard Jesus a little different? When we, when we allow the oil press to do that which is uncomfortable and pressing out that which doesn't need to be there and pressing out that which needs to get out to illumine other people's way and ours as well, when we do that, people hear us differently. They hear us differently. My hope would be that you would allow in this season the oil press of God, not just the circumstances of life, because the circumstances of life will press you and feel like an oil press. But if you're not in the presence of God, then you're not experiencing the kind of pressing that you need because the oil press is targeted. It doesn't just make you feel uncomfortable. It actually benefits you while you're in the presence of God because you're fellowshipping with the Lord. And as he is pressing Bad stuff out and good stuff out. So he is filling you with his power and perspective. People are being pressed every day by the negative. They are being pressed every day by the the radical and the hard and the the, the opinions of others that are salting their life wrongly, influencing them to go the, the opposite direction of Scripture and do things that aren't righteous They're being pressed to fear. They're being pressed to insecurity. They're being pressed to doubt and wonder where are you God? This is too hard. They are being pressed but it's not an oil press because not good is coming out. You got to have those circumstances put in the context of being in the presence of God and And the stuff that happens feels the same, but it comes out different. You come out better. I come out better. And for the last seven months or so, I've been pressed, but I've been pressed into the presence of Almighty God. My voice has changed. I don't know how. I don't know what it sounds like from what it used to sound like, but it's changed. My view of life has changed. A lot of stuff has has happened that now makes me love him more, not less. Come to Gethsemane. Come to Gethsemane. Stay as long as you need to so that you can have a conversation with God. There can be a certification of your identity to the others. And there is a direct distinction between how people who have not been in the oil press look and you. Contrast. You do that, boy, we will help win this city and indeed help win the world. Let's pray. God, please, please help us to stay in your presence long enough to let the oil of all almighty God flow into us so that it can be pressed out of us so that we can illumine people's way and our own.